Hey drivers, are you thinking about becoming a lease operator? Well, NCI is leasing out one to two-year-old Kenworth T680 double bunk condo tractors, fully loaded with APU and fridge, plus the company is owned by their own product. That's right, they deliver mainly their own freight, which means your business will be thriving for a long time to come. 844-311-7076. That's 844-311-7076. And tell them Talk CDL sent you. Please, thank you. today that we can talk about in the trucking industry. It's kind of a unique uh, topic. What is it? Well, it's the history of trucking. That definitely goes with trucking. Yeah. No, I mean, it's pretty cool. I actually was just kind of reading a lot. And I mean, let me tell you what I might title this is today's trucker would never be yesterday's trucker because I mean, a lot would not ever have wanted to do it because I'll give you an example. We're going to read a little bit of this and you're going to find that when trucking started, the speed limit was 15 miles an hour. Can you imagine having to truck 15 mile an hour? We don't like to go 30 through a residential area, let alone doing 15 on a road. Yeah, we're so used to going faster, but those those drivers that paved the way for us today, back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, those drivers did 15 miles an hour. Well, I mean, the trucks were different too, I mean. It doesn't matter. They did 15 miles an hour. Now, now and I think it didn't take long till the hours of regulations popped in. And they were allowed to like work 12 hours and we'll read that too. But imagine 10 hours at 15 miles an hour, you're getting, you're getting max. That's max in about 180 miles for the day. That's, that's a, that's a tough load. But I I don't think a lot of loads were going, you know, across the country at that time, but it's still 15 miles an hour, buddy. I'll tell you, I guarantee you truck accidents weren't a big deal back then. At 15. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, here, I'll, I'll start out. It says the, the trucking industry in the United States has affected the political and economic history of the United States in the 20th century. Before the invention of automobiles, most freight was moved by train and, or rather, horse-drawn vehicles. Right. Now, we could stop right there. Now, now that's definitely different than uh, a Freightliner Cascadia condo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? There's, you're, 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 you're in a, a, uh, a horse-drawn vehicle, you know, and I don't know. I can't even picture what that was like because when we think of a horse-drawn vehicle, we think of a stagecoach, but... You know, if they were transporting freight, 
I would imagine, I don't know, was it a big flatbed looking thing? Was it a box trailer? Did you not watch any westerns? Well, I didn't watch any westerns for tractor trailers. Well, I, they're still going to be like those, they're going to be like longer bedded. Yeah. You know, like not stagecoach as far as like where they're covered or anything like that, but their bed was a bit bigger for them to transport their merchandise. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember seeing the Pony Express and stuff like that in the John Wayne movies, but, you know... Wasn't what the Pony came, Express just a simple guy driving on a well, you know, riding a, horse? Well, it was the start of the mail, and, and, you know, that would also go into tractor trailers at, at one point or another, but when Didn't you... Didn't you watch Young Guns? Young Guns, what, there was no trucker in Young Guns. Exactly, they were still put behind in the little covered wagon thingy and... I know, but I'm just wondering, and I'll have to look it up. Were they pulling? Did they have trailers that they pulled it, pulled things on back then? Do you yeah, think it was, it was just like a wooden the wooden yeah. wheels with the flat? Right. Okay. Box like truck. It says now. Here's it says this was before the invention of automobiles. Okay. Um, it says during World War One, the military was the first to use trucks extensively. With the increased construction of paved roads, trucking began to achieve significant foothold in the 1930s and soon became subject to various government regulations such as hours of service. During the late 50s and 60s, trucking was accelerated by the construction of the interstate highway system an extensive network of freeways linking major cities across the continent. Trucking achieved national attention during the 60s and 70s when, are you ready to see, you, you want to know how they, it got its attention? Do, are you reading it with me? Do you see yeah, it? Yeah, I'm reading it. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. When songs, trucking really started gaining attention when songs and movies about truck driving were major hits. Truck drivers participated in widespread strikes against the rising cost of fuel during the energy crisis of 73 and 79, and the industry was drastically deregulated by the Motor Carrier Act of 1980. Now, I want to go back to this um, thing here. It said it really didn't really start gaining attention, and I think what, it, what they're saying there is truckers or people that would become truckers did not really start going, hey, I want to do that until some of those old trucking songs came out, you know? Yeah, like Smokey, the, the, the rubber duck. I mean, remember Teddy Bear and all this? I mean, you're mm -hmm. talking the 60s and 70s when Conway Twitty and... Well, you Smokey know, and the Bandit came out in the 70s, didn't they? I don't, I don't know. Johnny Cash. We're, we're just talking about the songs. It said mm -hmm. songs. Oh, and movies. You're right. I apologize. So White Line Fever, Smokey and the Bandit. Um, BJ, like, like you said, BJ and the bear, what was the other one? Rubber, the, when they did the rubber duck song. Yeah, that was, uh, that was, um. Convoy. Convoy. Thank you. I couldn't think of the name of the, of the movie. So you had all these movies that started, you know, depicting the trucker's life. And a lot of them really caught it started, you know, desiring to be that. That was when the popularity came out, but trucking had already been out over 70 years. You know, before it started in the late 1800s, and then the songs in the 60s and 70s made it popular, and that's when people really started. But I want to tell you something. I think it was in the 1930s, there was over a million trucks already on the road. 
How crazy is that? You got a weird thought look on your face. No, I was just trying to see where it actually started. Well, I, I, we'll, we'll keep reading and, it, and it'll tell us. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's what I was doing. Right, yeah. Okay, so it, it says, basically, trucking has come to dominate the freight industry in the latter portion of the 20th century, along with what are termed big box stores, such as Walmart and Target. Mm-hmm. So that's really the dominant force in our industry. And if you look at what's going on now, a lot of those big big box stores are in danger of Amazon taking over. So Yeah. Exactly. So now here's what it says. If you look down, it says before the 19th century or before 1900, most freight was transported over land was carried by trains or railroads. I'm sorry, trains using railroads. Trains were highly affected at, I'm sorry, highly efficient at moving large amounts of freight, but could only deliver that freight to centralized urban centers for distribution by horse-drawn transport. So the trains would bring them into the cities, and then they would do the horse and buggy. It says the few trucks that did exist at that time were mostly novelties. And I remember seeing that before. They were just a novelty, appreciated more for their advertising space than their utility. Isn't that kind of interesting? Mm-hmm. They didn't even realize what they had in their, in their possession that was going to be really the big force that we see today. Mm-hmm. A company, now here's one of the first trucking companies ever, or first manufacturers. They were called Winton Motor Carriage Company. They built one of the first trailer trucks. It called a trailer truck, converting it from what? A car. Mm-hmm. So it converted a car into a tractor and made a small trailer to move cars from the factory in 18... Go ahead. 1899. 1899. Um, so there's your first probably redneck trucker. You know, <laughs> he took a car, <laughs> right? He took a car and made it in. Just, it's something we would see. Somebody converted something. So he took a car and made it. But the first redneck trucker was, was spot on. Let's take a car here and make it into this doohickey and do this with it, make a trailer, blah, blah, blah. He ended up inventing, like, basically the tractor trailer. It says 10 years later, and here's a big name in trucking. A lot of people see this name on trailers and stuff, They and I don't think they realize how big this name is. Fruhoff. 10 years later, Fruhoff, F-R-U-E-H-A-U-F, experimented with tractor trailers. The use of range-limited electric engines lack of paved rural roads, and small load capacities limited trucks to mostly short-haul urban routes. So really, the, the truck they had back then, because they were electric motors back then. Isn't that something? They started in 1918. I'm looking at the thing here. These guys did. Yeah. 1918 to 1963 was Freehoff Trailer Company. And then um, Freehoff Corporation... Started in 1963 to 1989, was the American company engaged in the manufacture and sale of truck trailers and other machinery and equipment with the headquarters in Detroit. Awesome. And I pronounce it Fruhoff because it's F-R-U. You're saying Freehoff? No, I'm pronouncing it wrong. Are you pronouncing it wrong? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I just want to make sure because normally it is me that's pronouncing it wrong. So it is Fruhoff and not Freehoff. And they're still going today. You see them. They're not? In 1989, it said that they're done. Really? Because I see, I see that word on trucks. Well, it might be on that there's just still have them. Google they, Google they, Fruhoff and see if they're still in business. I'm, I'm looking at right here. 
uh, um, what they're saying, what I'm trying... Go ahead, I'm listening to you. No, you're not. You're shaking your head. Well, yeah, I am because... I'm I, looking right at it. You want to see? No, no. Actually, I don't want to see. Actually, I don't want to see. I really don't want to see. You know why? Because I see the word Fruhoff, and I want to make sure that we're not on this podcast saying Fruhoff is out of business if they're not. I wasn't saying they were. You not. just said they were done in, 18, in 1989. That's exactly what, it, what you said. I read exactly what it said. Okay. Did it say that they ended business in 1989? Did it, it said Fruhoff Corporation 1963 to 1989 was an American company engaged in manufacturing and sale of truck trailers. Okay. Maybe I'm wrong. Fruhoff Trailers. Okay. Let's see. Fruhoff Corporation. Yeah. It, I guess maybe what happened to Fruhoff Trailers? It's in the um, Henry Ford Museum 2012. And maybe Fruhoff ain't around Their anymore. truck from 1946. Fruhoff Trailer Corporation, 1918, 1963, 63 to 89. Yeah. Well, hey, I stand corrected. So you can call me an airhead. Hello? Airhead. I didn't tell you to call me an airhead. Yes, you did. You said you can. I, I said did. you can. I didn't say do it. Oh, I did. Okay. Let's move on. Um, so where was I? Okay, so basically, uh, they were using electric motors. It's funny because here we are, that was in like the 60s, right? When they were doing that, or the 40s, 30s, 40s, 50s? No, it was in the early 1900s. When they, when they first came out, they're using electric motors, and then they went to the diesel, which we'll read about. But if you think about it, what are we doing now? What are they what are they going back to right now? They're trying electric. Exactly. It's it started out electric and it was probably it was probably a mess to, to put an electric motor together back then. Uh, as far as, you know, the range. Obviously this range was horrible, but now they're coming back with electric and natural gas, all that other good stuff. It says starting in nineteen ten, the development of a number of technologies gave rise to the modern trucking industry. With the advent, I'm sorry, with the advent of the gasoline-powered internal combustion engine, improvements in transmissions, the move away from chain drives to gear drives, and the development of the tractor-semi-trailer combination, shipping by truck gained popularity. In 1913, the first state weight limits for trucks were introduced only four states limited truck weights from low 18,000 pounds in Maine to the high of 28,000 pounds in Massachusetts. These laws were enacted to protect the earth and gravel-surfaced roads from damage caused by the iron and solid rubber wheels of early trucks. I'll stop right there for a second. I'm wondering how bouncy it was. Yeah, it was well, <laughs> it, was, it wasn't bouncy. It was a rough ride. I mean, honestly, I remember when I was a kid, my first bicycle was solid rubber tires. And I was riding, and we were lived on a dirt road. And I'm going to tell you something. It was a killer it was when you rode that bicycle. And then one of my friends came to my house, and he had air tires. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm serious air tires and I got to ride his bike and I was like wow and it went faster and it was smooth I was like I need air tires 
And I got my first air tire bike probably when I was like 13. So, yes, the uh, tractor trailers that had the hard tires, I can only imagine what that felt like driving them things. The only thing I remember riding that didn't have air in its tires was a big wheel. <laughs> those plastic rubber, those hard plastic ones. Yeah, I remember the big wheels. <laughs> That's the only thing I remember not having air in its tire. <laughs> I remember the big wheels. Yeah, they, my, my neighbor had a big wheel and he'd come flying down the hill and he'd do a power slide and wipe it out every time. It was funny. <laughs> okay, so do you think today's trucker would have liked going 15 miles an hour in a hard tire tractor trailer? Nah. I don't think so. I, I don't think I would. No, I don't think anybody would. I mean, look, I'm not sitting here saying only today's trucker. Shoot, man, I I'm I, I, I was born way past this era myself. I, I I even the cab overs that I learned on had air tires mm-hmm. and a sleeper mm-hmm. and went more than 15 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. I think I wouldn't have liked it. You know what though? I do remember when I was a kid. The interstates in Pennsylvania were 55 miles an hour. It was a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, so they it says... recently got up more over it. Yeah. <laughs> it says, by 1914, there were almost 100,000 trucks on America's roads. However, wow. However, solid tires, poor rural roads, and a maximum speed of... 15. 15 miles per hour continued to limit the use of these trucks to mainly urban areas. Like, who would have... Can you imagine somebody saying, okay, we got a load going to, Cal, uh, going to Pennsylvania from California. 15, 15 miles an hour. Well, it, 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 it takes 10 hours to go. If you, if you keep it hammered, every 10 hours, it's 50, you can go 150 miles. You're shaking your head no. No, I just don't know if they really honestly had a throughway that a truck could have transported you know, gone through back then from California to Pennsylvania. They didn't have a throughway. They had probably mainly dirt roads, gravel roads. Yeah. So, I mean, a truck couldn't have passed over that. They're still using the wagons for all that stuff. I know, but 15 miles an hour, what I was going to say is for every, for every 150 miles, I'm sorry, for, for, for every 10 hours, you can go 150 miles. Mm -hmm. So if you had to go 3000 miles, right, 10 hours got you 150 miles, uh, 10 hours got you 150 miles, okay? 100 hours got you, no way, it couldn't be. Am I wrong about this? Well, I'm just still trying to figure out why you're trying to do it. Because in my brain, I got to hear the number. 15, at 15 mile an hour, in every 10 hours, I can go 150 miles, okay? So it would take me uh, to go 1,000 miles, okay, I would have to go, see, 10 hours is 150, 20 hours would be 300, 40 hours would be 600, okay, wow, so 80 hours would be 1,200 miles, that means 160 hours, you a month 160 go. hours would be uh, 2,400 miles. Yeah, it would take you a month to get across because then you still have the the rivers that you got to hope you can get across because of the, you know. That would be like crazy trucking. You'd, you'd have to pay the guy. Ice road truckers move over. You got that right, <laughs> man. Talk about tough trucking. I can't even imagine what ice road truckers were like back then. That's that's nuts. Okay, so let's just move on here. This is pretty cool stuff, actually. It says, the years of World War One. 
spurred rising truck use and development. During the busy war years, the increased congestion of railroads exposed the need for alternative modes of transporting cargo. It was during these years Roy Chapin, C-H-A-P-I-N, began to experiment with the first long-distance truck shipments and pneumatic tires capable of supporting heavier loads and developed, which enabled trucks to drive at higher speeds. So the use of those hard tires really kept these guys from going faster. Yeah, because if they went any faster, they would have just knocked their sense out. Listen to this. It says two truck manufacturers that emerged... During this time where a former sewing machine maker, White, W-H-I-T-E, and one that would become a modern e- euphemism for truck, Mac. Mac. Mac was one of the first big daddies to do their thing. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Mac is just, I'm telling you, Mac is an awesome truck. People don't realize that's a heavy duty kind of, they're kind of like the, the truck that not everybody notices. But you should see the new anthems. You should see some of these new things Mac has come out with. They're amazing looking. And every construction site you see, then usually the main truck is a Mac. So anyways, by 1920, there were over 1 million trucks on America's roads. How awesome is that? That's just, I honestly would have never thought there was that many trucks then. I'm telling you, it's this, these numbers actually blew my mind too. I'm thinking, what? There's no, there's no way... They had a million tractor trailers. When you said 100,000 earlier, I'm like, what? Isn't that, that's crazy. It's like, you don't realize how many people even existed back then to have a million trucks, Mm -hmm. to have the need for a million trucks back then. Mm -hmm. Just, it tells you really, this country's been bigger a lot longer than you realize it is. Okay. It says the years beyond 1920 saw several advancements such as improved rural roads, the introduction of the diesel engine, which was 25 to 40% more efficient than gasoline engines. People know that. Mm-hmm. It says the standardization of truck and trailer sizes, along with fifth wheel coupling systems, as well as power assisted brakes and steering. Imagine that hard tires, 15 mile an hour. Spring brakes. I don't know if they're going to talk about spring brakes, but you had to stand on these things to stop them and hold them. Along with, okay, no steering, you know, manual steering. No power steering. I'm going to tell you something about steering. One time my dad had this thing. It was called a stake body body truck. It was like a flatbed where you put the sides on and turn it into a pickup. Mm -hmm. It was a dump. Okay, it could go up. And it was an odd-looking old truck. You just look up stake body. People know what they are. In fact, it's almost the way a... A, uh, a covered wagon is. Today's covered wagon, they have the side kit, and then they tarp over it. My dad had one of these, and it was not power steering. He was backing up in our driveway, and we lived on a mountain, and it was dirt roads. The wheel caught a ditch and went the way it would go. There was no holding that wheel back with no power steering. The wheel just ripped out of his hand and ripped half his finger off. We ha- He had to go up to the hospital to get the under part of his, one of his fingers. I remember seeing that thing. It just ripped it almost right off. And we had to go all the way up to the hospital just to get his finger all sewed up because of non-power steering vehicle backing into the driveway. That was just backing up. 
Mm-hmm. How crazy is that? Mm-hmm. That's a true story, by the way. It's probably also why they only were able to go the 15 miles per hour because anything harder than that with how the ditches and stuff were, you know, how the gravel was, the drivers just couldn't handle, you know, the freight would go everywhere. The drivers just had a hard time handling it. And then if you had to step on the brakes, they wouldn't have been able to stop it. So it only could go that fast for it to be handled. Absolutely. It said by 1933, all states had some form of varying truck weight regulation. In 1933, as part of President Franklin D. Roosevelt's New Deal, the National Recovery Administration requested that each industry create a code of fair competition. The American Highway Freight Association and the, I'm sorry, and the Federated Trucking Association of America met in the spring of 1933 to speak for the Trucking Association and begin discussing a code. By the summer of 1933, the Code of Competition was completed and ready for approval. The two organizations had also merged to form the American Trucking Associations. The code was approved on February 10, 1934. May 21, 1934, the first president of the ATA, Ted Rogers, became the first truck operator to sign the code. A special, check this out, a special, I'm going to look it up to a special Blue Eagle license plate was created for truck operators to indicate compliance with the code. I would like to see if there's any of those Blue Eagle, I've seen that picture, but I don't think that that's, I wonder if that's the actual plate. It says that the National Recovery Administration, NRA, was a prime New Deal agency established by President Roosevelt. The goal was to eliminate cutthroat competition by bringing industry, labor, and government together. Yeah, I would love to have one of those plates hanging in our studio. Hmm. The Blue Eagle license plate that was created to show you were incomplete. eBay. eBay. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, yeah, go to I doubt it. Probably be a phony. But no, seriously... That would be really neat to just see one of those things. In 1935, Congress passed the Motor Carrier Act, which replaced the Code of Competition and authorized the Interstate Commerce Commission, the ICC. That's been closed down. It says to regulate the trucking industry based on recommendations given by the now abolished ICC. Congress enacted the first hours of service regulations in 1938 limiting the driver's hours of truck and bus drivers. In 1941, the ICC reported that inconsistent weight limitations imposed by the states were a hindrance to, to effective interstate truck commerce. doesn't say what the hours of driving was. Yeah, I've, Actually, I have a, a chart on it. We'll do that in another pod. It's actually a kind of an interesting topic to, to see the old hours of service and everything. Yeah, but now I'm curious. Yeah. Dun, you, dun, dun. I know, but look, we're actually I'm coming up on 30 minutes on this pod, and I wanted, I didn't really want to have a long pod, but I guess the history is a little longer than 30 minutes. Okay. It says, creation of interstates. Also in 1941, President Roosevelt appointed a special committee to explore the idea of a national interregional highway system but the committee's progress was halted by the initiation of World War II. After the war was over, the Federal Aid Highway Act of 1944 authorized the designation of what are now termed interstate highways, but did not include a funding program to build the highways. Limiting progress was made 
until President Dwight D. Eisenhower renewed interest in the plan in 1954. This began along a bitter debate between various interests such as rail, truck, tire, oil, and farm groups over who would pay the new highways and how. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, because that's like almost 10 years. Yeah, they were all fighting over it. They were probably all wanting their hand in on the profit, you know, and they were all fighting on who's going to pay for it because they all affected the industry. Mm-hmm. It says, after compromises had been made, the Federal Aid Highway Act of 1956 authorized the construction of the interstate highway system, an interconnected network of controlled access freeways that allowed larger trucks to travel at higher speeds through rural and urban areas. This act also authorized the first federal maximum gross vehicle weight limits for trucks set at 73,280 pounds. In that same year, modern containerized intermodal shipping was pioneered by Malcolm McLean, allowing for more efficient transfer of cargo between trucks, trains, and ships. What do you think of all that? In the late 50s, the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials conducted a series of extensive field tests of roads and bridges to determine how traffic contributed to the deterioration of payments, pavement materials. These tests led to 1964 recommendations of the AASHTO to Congress that the gross weight limit for trucks should be determined by a bridge formula table based on axle length instead of static upper limit. By 1970, there were over 18 million trucks on America's roads. By 1970, over 18 million trucks. Now listen to this. The bridge law that they're talking about, it really would go from your drive axles, your drive tires rather, all the way to your tandems. And that's that forms what they call the bridge. And so you have to have your weight distributed. In fact, that's why scales, these modern-day cat scales, when you pull up on them, you're only allowed, I think it's like, is it like 34,000, 34,000 and 12, or 36, 36 and 12, something to that effect on, on your axles, and you can pull onto these weight scales and have that, um, you know, that means you'd have to slide your axle. In fact, uh, Magnus Stop comes in here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyways, what I was going to say is I remember... Back when I was a driver, people all the time getting a ticket for the bridge, the bridge law. So, yeah, that's something, isn't it? How everything really came into play here. You want to read the next? The Federal Aid Highway Amendments of 1974 established a federal maximum gross vehicle weight of 80,000 pounds and introduced a sliding scale of truck weight to length ratios based on the bridge formula but did not establish a federal minimum weight limit. Consequently, sorry, six contiguous states in the Mississippi Valley, which came to be known as the barrier states, refused to increase their interstate weight limits to 80,000 pounds, and the truck industry effectively faced a barrier to efficient cross-country interstate commerce. So the Mississippi Valley, I'm guessing, what is that, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, or whatever in that area? And so they refused to jack up their their weight limit. Now imagine if you got a if you if you picked up a load in Georgia and you had to take it to Texas and you were 80,000 pounds. I'm I'm just saying it, it it brings a couple questions to mind. How did you get it to Texas? 
My guess is you had to probably go up and around, or maybe you had to get permits like you do today. I don't know, but I am curious about that. Go ahead and read. The decade of the 70s saw the heyday of the truck driving and the dramatic rise in the popularity of truck, trucker culture. The truck drivers were romanticized as modern-day cowboys and outlaws, and this stereotype persisted even today. This was due to part of the use of Citizens Band, which is CB Radio, to relay information to each other regarding the locations of police officers and transportation authorities. Plaid shirts, trucker hats, CB radios, and using CB slang were popular not just to the drivers but among the general public. Boy, is that stereotyping <laughs> plaid shirts. <laughs> plaid shirts. So if you wore plaid shirts, trucker hats, and you had a CB radio, you were you just might be a trucker. You were a modern-day cowboy. That's awesome, man. And that all came from those songs and mm-hmm. those movies. Yeah. Well, that's what the next paragraph is. Oh, okay, go ahead. Let's hear it. In 1976, the number one hit on the Billboard chart was Convoy. You got a great big convoy trucking through the night. A novelty song. Okay. A novelty song by C.W. McCall about a convoy of truck drivers evading speed traps and toll booths across America. The song inspired the 1978 action film Convoy directed by Sam Peckinpah. Peckinpah. What a name. Peckinpah. After the film's release, thousands of independent truck drivers went on strike and participated in violent protests during the 1979 energy crisis, although similar strikes had occurred during the 1973 energy uh, crisis. I want to stop right there. And since I've been a trucker, okay, for the last 30 years, I've heard truckers across the country trying to get strikes going. Mm-hmm. And it's and, and look, I don't advocate. I'm not advocating strike. I'm not advocating against strike. You know, pro, protesting is an American, an American right. Okay, but those guys back in the '70s, they stuck together, and yeah. th- you see that. And it, it was, was the brotherhood. It was the true brotherhood of truck, and those brothers stuck together. Now today, with the modern uh, internet, everybody's connected on websites together, and nobody stick. I'm telling you. There's, there's a lot of good truckers out there, but what's funny, they just tried to do a strike last year, and then I think this past April, they were going to do the shutdown. It's so minimum. Mm-hmm. Who will participate in trying to get change in the industry? And again, I'm not advocating violence. I'm not advocating shutting highways down. I'm not advocating doing anything that's going to be harmful to people, but these people right here in the 70s, they said strike, and they did it. And those guys, there was no question about I'm not saying that there were people trying to not strike also back then, but it sounds like the greater, the greater amount were sticking together. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. The year 1977 saw the release of Smokey and the Bandit. I met him. The third highest grossing film of that year, beaten only by Star Wars and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. During that same year, CB Bears saw its debut, a Saturday morning cartoon featuring mystery-solving bears who communicated by CB radio. That's funny. Yeah. You know what? I'm trying to remember if I even remember that show. I, I don't remember it either. What, you, what year was it, it said? 77. I can't remember that. I, I think I might. Really? That's funny. Yeah. And they, it, look like, they look like Care Bears. Oh, really? We'll have to look it up. You can pull it up on the thing and look at the images. I... Uh, um, did not meet Smokey and the Bandit. I, I actually thought you said BJ and the Bear. 
that for some reason. <gasps> I, I did know the CB Bears. I did see that show. Really? Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> you were like seven years old. I was. I was seven. That's too funny. Uh-huh. See, I don't. What are they called? The CB Bears. CB Bears. CB Bears. Uh-huh. That's cute, actually. By oh. the start of the 1980s, the trucking phenomenon had wa- had waned, and with the rise of the cellular phone truck. Cellular. That that wasn't oh in the eighties, the CB radio was no longer popular with passenger vehicles. Although truck drivers still use it today. And you know what though, in the eighties and the nineties, a lot of people had CBs in their cars. CBs, I'm just saying, CBs are what you call the direct connection on the road. Um, and that's another pod. Okay, let's talk about deregulation. It's part of trucking and the trucking history. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows in the eighties. They deregulated. Trucking companies were making huge rates, and your big giant trucking companies were sitting back. And I think they said that it was a lot of your owner operators. Let me let me read it first. It says the Motor Carrier Act of 1980 partially deregulated the trucking industry, dramatically increasing the number of trucking companies in operation. The trucking workforce was drastically deunionized, resulting in lower overall pay for drivers all those guys that go unions suck right (laughs) they all lost money and that's the truth i've had so many guys say f them unions man because i ain't gonna pay dues to have a job those guys back then were paying 25 bucks a month union dues and we're getting about almost double the hourly rate as any regular guy but somehow somehow the businessman that is filthy rich, convinced the working man that sticking together in those unions is bad. Now, yes, sure, there's been corrupt unions. I get that. But the guy that was in those unions, he won. Now, where am I at here? It says, trucking had lost its spotlight in popular culture and had become less intimate among drivers due to the increase of both motor carriers and truck drivers. However, deregulation increased the competition and productively, I'm sorry, productivity within the trucking industry as whole and was beneficial to the American consumer by reducing costs. The Surface Transportation Assistance Act of 1982 established a federal minimum for truck weight limits, which finally standardized truck, um, truck size and weight limits across the country for traffic on interstate highways resolving the issue of the barrier states. Now listen to this. It's kind of a vicious cycle. And when deregulation, before deregulation came out, truckers were making really, really good money because that's what they did. They were out there away from their families. They made what they, they, made what they were worth back then. It's true. And what happened was when they deregulated, the big giant companies, okay, and I'm talking about the size of Swift and J.B. Hunt, those guys... Those guys were sitting back going, please deregulate. Because what happened was your, your private contractors and smaller companies, they wanted to, the, the, the rates were set by the government back then, Ruthann. You understand? The rates were not set by trucking companies. And so what happened was these companies that had millions or thousands of trucks, the big ones, they were saying, please, please deregulate. The small guy was saying, please deregulate because we're going to jack up the rates. We're going to charge more. See, they thought they can get more money, and they were already making a lot. The the big companies were going, please deregulate because I'm going to cut the rates, and I'm going to get all the business 
and I'm going to grow. And guess what they did? It's true. The really big companies, instead of the rates going up, that the, the, the small guy thought was going to happen, the rates went extremely down. And then, of course, you know, prices didn't, inflation didn't go nuts, but we've had inflation no matter what for all these years. I mean, you, I could show you so many examples of products that should be going, getting cheaper because of lower cost have, have just keep going up. Well, that was the case back then in trucking. The, the uh, industry got deregulated and all the trucking rates, what they were getting per mile, went down because the big guys come in and started cutting everybody's throat and got the business and still made money. And you know what that's called? That's called free enterprise. That's called business in America. The little guy screwed himself by wanting that done. And the little guy screwed himself. And I'm not pro-union. I'm just saying those guys that were union had a lot going for them. Yes, there were some unions that were a little ridiculous that were going to bankrupt themselves with the insane incentives they were paying each other and, and the, the retirement plans. But done right, those guys could have been protected and done, you know, have a great, a great future. That's just my opinion. You can be pissed off at me for saying it, but that's just the way I feel. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Look I at... By 2006, there are over 26 million trucks on America's roads hauling over 10 billion short tons of freight and representing nearly 70% of the total volume of freight. Many automobile drivers are largely unfamiliar with large trucks, and many accidents are the result of these drivers being unaware of an 18-wheeler, numerous and large blind spots. The Occupational Safety and Health Administration has determined that 70% of fatal automobile tractor-trailer accidents were the result of unsafe actions of automobile drivers. Yeah, yeah, every and that's just these are numbers and and, and that's a good that's a good ending to this pod on the trucking industry and there's a lot more we can talk about, but these are actual numbers not by the trucking industry but by the uh, DOT, by the states, by the government, that 70, and I think it's actually higher, but 70% of all automobile, semi-truck accidents and deaths, all that, 70% or more is caused by the guy in the car, mm-hmm. not the tractor trailer. So all a lot of people that bitch about truckers and tractor trailers, they really need to probably be more educated on safe driving, in my opinion. Now, think about everything we just talked about, 15 mile an hour. We didn't even talk about, it, it didn't even talk about the, the sleeper and how big the sleepers have gotten. You know, they've gone from little single cab, cab, uh, cab over bunks with dog houses to gigantic, you know, standard right now is like 76 inch condo sleeper. You could stand on the bunk and jump up as high as you can. You can't hit the ceiling, okay? And they all have refrigerators and freezers. They have APUs, which means you can plug in all your stuff and power everything. You can do so much in trucking right now. You feel like you're out there camping, okay? But those guys, my grandfather, I'm going to end, I'm going to end with this in trucking because we got way more stuff in the history of trucking to talk about in future podcasts. But my grandfather, his bed in his tractor trailer, when he started in like, I don't, I couldn't tell you the year, 
maybe the 30s or the 40s when he was driving a tractor trailer, was a 2 by 10 plank board that he kept outside on the, on the back of the truck. And then when he had to sleep at night, they would put that across the two seats. And I guess he would put a sheet on it and a pillow. And he would sleep on a board. Hmm. That was his bed. And that was trucking. And you know what? He did it for 52 years. My grandfather, Jute Hefner. Okay. And I'm going to tell you, that's what, and again, I'm not making fun of today's truckers, but can you imagine getting them on? What's the name of that time machine movie with the DeLorean when Michael J. Fox? Back went, to the future. Back to the future. Can you imagine if we said, all right, you truckers, we're, we're going on a trip here in this DeLorean. Hop in. And they said, where are we going, Troy? I'd say, we're going to 1940. <laughs> and you guys are going to deliver some freight. Guess what? Hmm. It would be so funny to watch their eyes when they see the truck they got to get in, the speed, the tires, the, the entire whole setup. And the only reason I'm saying all this, honestly, I'm not making fun of today's drivers, because I'm the same way. I can imagine my eyes. If somebody said, hey, come back here, Troy, and drive a truck in 1940 for a second, I can only imagine how long would I last. Oh, no. You better have a love for trucking back then. This was before the, the songs, <laughs> you know, before they said in the 1960s and 70s when all the trucker songs and movies came out and glorified trucking. Mm-hmm. You, these guys were truly loving their jobs because they weren't being sung about back then. Right. Can you just imagine it? I can't. Mm-hmm. I'll leave it at that. Do you have anything else? Peace. Peace. Praise the Lord.